Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Argyle Chat, the Plymouth Argyle podcast brought to you by the Herald Sports Desk. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Argyle Chat. Joining me this week is Jack Ball. Hi, Jack. Hello. And a very special welcome to our guest, Rory Fallon. Hi, Rory. How's it going? You right? Yeah, good, thank you. Lovely, hot, sunny day. We expected you to be out selling ice creams. Well, I've been eating ice cream this morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about nine o'clock. We had a look on the website, didn't we, beforehand? We saw your title was Chief Taster. Yeah, it's changed now. Like, I am Chief Taster. That's like, I'll always be that. Like, <laughs> um, I'm making now, so... Uh, because I've stopped playing uh, football, I've got more time to um, actually make make the stuff now. Oh, really? So yeah. Wow. So if you eat the Calic ice cream, it's either made by me or Carly. Uh, we've got uh, another person as well helping us. Fantastic. So when it comes to doing the ice cream, do you sort of experiment yourself and try new flavors yeah, all the time? Yeah. Yeah, constantly like just changing flavors. Uh, that's where we found our niche really was because we can make any flavor you want. Mm. Um, so. We've got it to a place now where if someone told us, can you make that? We can make it straight away. We'll just know what to do, you know? Yeah, what's your personal favourite? Uh, lime and tequila. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so, so refreshing. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful in the, um, in the um, summer when it's nice and hot and that. Uh, we've got, and then obviously that was a, that's a sorbet. Um, like my probably favourite at the moment would be like uh, ice cream would be probably a Biscoff marshmallow or... Um, we got one called Baccio, which is a hazelnut chocolate, and another one, Caramac, which is a, um, it's like, have you ever had one of those Caramac cho- yeah, chocolate, chocolate bars? bars yeah, yeah, it tastes like that, yeah. Oh, okay. So, so how do you try them out? Once you've got a flavour, do you take them out and test them a little bit, or? Yeah, we'll, we'll test them. Usually we bang them out straight away. We'll, we've got to a stage now where it doesn't take ages to, like, work it out. We, we know pretty much, okay, that's what's, in our head, we know what we need to put in. Um, with s- stuff like like chocolate sorbets and stuff, it takes a little bit of tweaking, and like the sorbets are the ones that are, take longer to make. So um, the ice creams like uh, already made up, and then you start adding stuff to it. Mm-hmm. The um, sorbets you have to completely make make from scratch. So it takes a bit longer, but yeah, yeah we. It's just one of them things like with like. I'll, it's weird because I'm football every day and now it's ice cream every day. So it's like my life is <laughs> just like completely like turned like 360. So did, did you, could you ever imagine you would have done something like this when you were playing? Like, is this totally unexpected? No, because I think with every footballer, the, the next path is uh, coaching, mm. uh, especially with my dad being a coach. But I know what it entails because growing up with my dad, um, and I know it's not a long shelf life. I know that uh, there's not many jobs. And when you do get that job, you've probably got three games to keep that job. So I know it's very fickle. Um, and I just know what my dad's been through to to be coaching for that long in New Zealand. Um, I know what it entails. And it completely takes over your life. 
Um, and f- football has completely taken over my life for, well, since I was born, because straight away I was probably pretty much thrusted into football because my dad. Um, so I've just, I've enjoyed really having a complete break from it. Uh, I've got all my coaching badges and stuff like that. Um, but at the moment, I'm just having a hiatus away from uh, football, just complete break. Do you miss it at all? No. Really? <laughs> <laughs> People think I'm mad, but it's yeah. like, well, it's, it's they're, not in it. they're not in it every day. They, they just watch yeah. it and they talk about it, um, but they'll never know until they're actually in it. Um, great memories. Like, you never forget the memories and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm really proud of what I achieved. But I got to a stage where I was just like, I've had enough of being on the bus and being in a hotel room, a different bed, living out of a suitcase, being on planes. I just, I just got sick of it. Yeah. I, did, I played for 18, year, 18 professional years, yeah, you know, good, so good it was a long time. I asked because I saw, I heard Stephen Gerrard recently say that he wishes he had played for another year longer at Liverpool because yeah. you can never go back now but. I, I think you find a lot of footballers that um, you either get the footballers that can't wait to leave it um, and you'll get the footballers that will just wish they can still play again yeah. and um, they can't let the game go um, and for me that's the worrying bit for people the ones that can't let go of the game um, that, those are the guys that get depressed because mm. um, it's massive now uh, for people leaving the game and getting all depressed and stuff like that. I don't want to be that st- statistic and have... I had a vision um, that I would like either get my coaching badges and go and step in straight into a job or I, what I really wanted was a business um, that I could fall into straight after football because what happens is that footballers, they stop and then they like twiddle their yeah, thumbs and wonder now? what I do now. Um, and then they just get into bad habits, really. They're, they're bad habits that they had as a footballer they take into, uh, you know, after life, uh, after, you know, football life. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I don't want to be one of them guys, you know. I wanted to have something where I could go straight into and just, you know what I mean, get into it and just, you know, completely do something different. So when did you have the business sort of lined up and ready to go um, to? I had the business when I was at Scunthorpe, so three years ago. Um, I did... Uh, when I was playing for Scunthorpe, I did my cruciate. Um, so the you know the specialists and the doctors were saying I'll be out for over a year. Uh, it became sixteen months. Um, so there and then I was like with my wife, okay, we're going to start a business, start the business up now. I guess at that sort of age as well, you know. I was thirty three. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, it was a great time for me to say, okay, time to start thinking about the next phase. I'd got my UFA badge and stuff like that, but. Really, at the time, I was like, I really don't want to be coaching. Is there much help with that in football? Do you get many people saying you should think about what you want to do next or are you sort of left to do it on your own? Uh, you'll get PFA reps come in. The PFA were massive, massive help. Um, they're brilliant. You know, they're paid at the time when I was at um, Scunthorpe. What happened, I did my cruciate. Scunthorpe paid for that because I was playing for them. Mm. Then I was out of contract, but they still let me train there and get rehab got back and then I did my um, meniscus so I had a double whammy really mm-hmm. um, so uh, Scunny didn't want to pay for my meniscus because I wasn't signed to them which is fair enough and then uh, the PFA paid for my uh, surgery so you know they do stuff like um, after football you know they'll put you into programs like uh, being a plumber and an electrician so there's stuff there 
uh, for people I think just with football is they they're really lazy yeah um, and all they know is football and that's all they want to do um, and then they think they're going to be playing football for their whole lives and then they don't they don't that you know football like you could sign for two seasons and then next season you don't have a contract yeah and you fall out of the game pretty quick um, and then they haven't got anything uh, so I, I just knew I knew the scenario of you know what was going off around me and especially at that age the contracts were getting smaller the time was getting smaller so I, I had a you know I, I saw it but a lot a lot of uh, the big thing that happened was around when um, we went into administration with Plymouth Argyle because around that time we were on really good contracts and like life was great you know doing the game you know playing the game I love you know great contract and then all of a sudden the carpet's taken from under yeah. you and you're not getting paid anything. That was like the moment where it struck home. So that's when I started doing the badges and that. And then a few years later, I did the business. Yeah. I say, it must be quite hard as well mentally for, I don't know, players to be playing in front of thousands of people and then being a plumber fixing their toilet, for example. It must be sort of hard to get your head around not living that life anymore. Yeah, it's just, it's just one of them things that if you don't prepare... Uh, you know, because I, I didn't have an excuse. I had a good career, you know. I've had a long career and I had a, you know, had a good chance to save money up and stuff like that. You know, whenever I moved to a club, I tried to buy a house instead of, you know, I, I never tried to lease stuff and I always tried to invest well as well. Um, so I had things to show for my um, career where some people, you know, I've got mates who don't have anything. Yeah. Complete, just nothing. And they start from scratch, and they have to do a job that they hate, and, mm. and I suppose they probably live the high life as well, where they're earning well, decent money. Well, that's the thing. When you're young, you got all this money, you got yeah. all this time, and you think you're the big man, and then you real, and then your contract's gone, and you're like, oh, oh, what do I do? Now? What do I do now? Instead of saving the money, um, so you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect. When I was younger, I, you know, I, I did have that time where I was living like that, but you know the. Um, you know, there was a couple of things that changed me and I was like, you know what, I've got to just get my head screwed on because um, it's not a you know, long shelf life being a footballer. Did your dad help with that as well? Because obviously he'd been... Do you know what? My, yeah, my dad was always one of them guys like always invest in, in property. He was like, if you ever do anything, invest in property. And that was, that was like a big thing for me. So one of my targets, you know, I always had like little targets, not just football targets, I had life targets, you know, and... I always wanted to own my own house outright. That was one of my main goals. And a few years back, I did that. So um, that was one of my main goals to do that. And I did it. And it was, you know, it was a great feeling, you know? Yeah, indeed. Well, obviously, you came down to Argyle, um, Ian Holloway. It was, of course, that boy. Ollie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, four years at Argyle. How did the move come about? And, and what was Ollie like to work with? Obviously, he comes across to the, you know, people that don't know him as a bit of a comedy figure. Was he was he fun to work under? It was good, yeah. I enjoyed being with Ollie. Um I remember at the time though when I, I left Swansea, um, I think I was one of the biggest signings for Plymouth. So uh, it was a strange one because I went to uh came to Plymouth on, you know, you know, big signing and that and then I was on the bench for a while because obviously we our team was flying. Mm. Um I came into a team that was you know around knocking around the playoffs at the championship. So I just had to really bide my time. Um, 
but I had absolutely no complaints with Ollie. He was he was a guy that could get an average team and average players to perform um, to their you know to their peak. Not saying that our team was average. That was a very good team. Um, that uh, championship team that we had. Um, yeah, he was a character. He was a character. I mean, you mentioned the fact that you came in uh, to be and you had to bide your time. Is that hard as a footballer, especially for a striker? Yeah, it's one of the. As a striker, you know, any striker will say is like you need you in your head. You need to know that you're playing so you can get your head. So you, and then scoring as well. Uh, once you start, the thing is, I scored straight away when I came to Plymouth. You know, um, against West Brom, uh, but it took me a while because to you know to actually break into the team because uh, the lads were flying. Um, with when you go to a team and they're doing well in the the winning games, you can't really complain, yeah. Um, because end of the day, the team, the team was flying, mm-hmm. so I uh, I didn't really have any complaints really. We talk about that now with Derek Adams. He only plays one striker up front, and you've got Ryan Taylor who plays up front. And we we talked about before how yeah. how it must be hard to try and recruit another striker when they only play one in that position, and whether someone's willing to be the second person. Or... Yeah, and they know you know you're gonna have three strikers, aren't you? Yeah, because uh, you you need three three or four strikers. Yeah. Um, so you know you got a couple of lads who are going to be on the bench sitting there just watching. If if you're a player as well, and Adams comes to you and says, "I want you to come to Plymouth," and you know that Ryan Taylor's already there and he's been the first choice, does that? I think that have a massive effect on the on the move for me personally. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. As a striker, you want to be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the the. Any striker that knows that's the only playing one up front, and um, I, for me personally, I'd go to the place that they're playing two up front. At least you've got a chance to get on, mm. because you might not even come on. And you see, obviously, with strikers they come on for the last five ten minutes, and you're not. That must be hard to make an impact. Yeah, it's hard, you need twenty minutes. You know, you need to get into the game and stuff like that. So, like, you could be coming on ten minutes. That's not. You know, I mean, you're not. You're going to struggle to even get a touch. Yeah. Um, but obviously, people are different. You know, some you'll probably get strikers in that are, are needing an opportunity. That's probably where it, where it'd be going. I don't think you'd get bona fide starting strikers there because they would expect to come in and play. Yeah, was that a disappointment then when when Oli left our goal? Because obviously, as you say, the team were flying at the time. You were challenging for the playoffs, weren't you? Massive. I think we would have been knocking on the playoff door for the for Premier League. I think if we stayed, hundred percent, no doubt about it. Um, and then what happened was there was the exodus really when um, uh, Paul uh, St- Sturrock came in. Um, no f- real fault of his own. It was like a lot of players were coming to the end of their contract. The team had done so well that w- they were picking up attention from other teams as well. Mm. So it was just a really a matter of time. Um, and I think that's obviously when the financial troubles I think became that's why apparent I, as well. I think, o- I think Ollie probably sniffed it as well that the lads yeah. were moving on. Uh, and he probably offered them contracts and they're probably said now I'm going to wait because you know you're going to you know someone like Norris you at the time you got Ipswich who's it's a big team you know yeah, it's, hard, it's hard to turn down something like that especially when they're offering you massive wages as a footballer you know that you only got a few years to make decent money before you're you know making ice cream or <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> running a gym yeah exactly but you know he's doing well Norris yeah. he's, he's got I think he's got two or three gyms now so he's one of those guys that has done really well you know I've got a couple of friends actually who have I've got one guy called Tim Brown who was in my New Zealand team and 
uh, he was way too smart for football um, and he couldn't wait to leave football. Really? So as soon as he left, he um, started his own business and um, I'm wearing his shoes actually. He's, uh, uh, his, his shoe label's called Allbirds and they've just boomed in America. Oprah Winfrey's wearing the shoes. Oh, really? Yeah, he's, wow. he's gone massive. I think it was like some, the guy invented Google or something like that. Um, invested in his business and now they're just... He's putting millions and millions into his business and they're massive now. You need to get so, some famous people eating the uh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're set up differently. So we can't, uh, you know what I mean? We can't, yeah, we won't be like that. Um, but, you know, there are some great stories um, after football that you hear, but I think a lot of the people hear the bad stuff. Yeah. People going to prison and all sorts. Just struggling to cope with. Not struggling to cope with. Yeah, yeah, but there are some people that, you know, are doing really well. I mean, there was Marvin Morgan's another striker who played for Argyle and he's got the FEK fashion line that I think is doing pretty well in this country and he's always snapping pictures of celebrities wearing his stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, and there's... You know, there's there's a few lads that have, have done well after football. and um, Well, the good thing with football is that it does give you that opportunity because, as you say, you can make the money and then if you invest it wisely, you can then have a good career after football. Can't that's you? where the smart players are. They'll invest their money and they have got something. They're not fully got their head on it, but they've got it in the background where yeah. it's, I'm going to go into that when football finishes. I'm going to try and make as much money as I can and that's the next phase. Uh, those are the smart ones, and I'd say to any footballer, that's how you've got to. That's how you've got to be, because football, you know, there's some people that don't last a year pro. Mm. Uh, there's loads of players that have thousands. An injury as well. You never have an injury. Injury, anything, loss of form. It's just you know, it's you don't get long in the game. I mean, just quickly going back to Ian Holloway, I mean, when did you find out that he was leaving? So how did that affect the mood in the camp at the time? I think the I think the problem with Ollie, um, with that was that he was giving. I've got a, I've got green blood and I've you know my heart is green and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sweet and sour green. The thing is, Ollie, he's a great guy, but he does waffle. He can he can waffle. You know, what I mean, he talks a great game, and I think his kind of his talk gets away gets a, ahead of him. And I think with that the. The Argyle fans saw him as like being a genuine guy, you know, I love the and then as soon as the first thing pops up he went. And I think that's what really annoyed the fans. Yeah. Um I think the best thing you can do is just stay quiet on the subject. Uh and don't don't do that. Um but that was down to him really. But the lads were gutted because I think we saw we saw someone that was saying we're going to go to the Premier League and we actually believed it and we were actually performing like we were going to the Premier League. Uh, and then when he went, it was just like, oh, okay. And then who's coming in now? And then you have disruption. You know, it's, it's very difficult when your team's flying and your coach goes. Yeah. Um, so it just messed just the whole everything up and just, I mean the knock on effect as well so Holloway leaves and then you get the likes of I think Gosling, Norris a lot of people leave in January and the ones that are left could be there thinking well I could have got to the Premier League and then that's that chance over yeah. it, must, it must be really tough to deal with yeah you, you, you lose you, we lost you know some of our best players you know uh, and young players as well you know whereas if you wanted to kick on you keep someone like Gosling yeah to get you to where you need to be yeah uh, just think we didn't really see the, you know, we didn't have much foresight on the on the subject, you know. You only hear rumours, you know, that Ollie wanted a couple of big players to come in to really kick us on to the next level. 
Um, and then, you know, people saying that the, um, you know, the people upstairs wouldn't give them that money. We don't know the finances, you know, we don't know that, you know, we could have been right on the edge of, you know, you know, not having much money anyway to start with. So to do that might have put the club in more trouble. So, and then from then on, it just really started taking a dip. Yeah. Um, I think we finished our highest ever position that year. So was it seventh? Was it, was it, was it? But 10th maybe, I can't remember. It was, it was definitely top was 10. Outside, I, th- I think that was the highest we ever finished. But it was like the disappointment of we could have... What could have been? Yeah, what could have been? Um, well, I guess from the board's point of view, if they, they obviously do know the finances and they obviously knew that things were getting pretty tight. Otherwise, they perhaps would have taken that gamble to try and get into the Premier League. But Possibly, yeah. You know, we, we don't know. We, we will never know what the situation was. We don't know the reason why Oli left... Um, I think just everyone was annoyed that, um, you know, when he was giving up, you know. He'd sold the dream, wouldn't he? He had sold the dream to everyone. Uh, and I think that's what really annoyed everyone. But, you know, you live and you learn. You're not, no one's perfect, are they? No. And like, like I said, as well, managers, again, you don't know when they're going to get opportunities. And I think Leicester had quite a lot of money at the time. and But they... They weren't that great. I think they went down. They got relegated in the end. So and he took a couple of players with him as well. So you know, as um, <laughs> I think at the time he probably realised what have I done here. But then he went on to do get you know Blackpool. I think yeah, after Blackpool that, and they went to Premier League. League. So yeah, end of the day, you know, he's, he's Premier League manager now. So end of the day, it's just one of them things. It's a football story, you know. It's just yeah. one of them, what ifs. I don't, I don't really live my life on what ifs. So like. You know, what if, you know, Tommy Smith didn't pull the lad, the Italian lad in the penalty box? We could have won that game. We would have went to the next round of the World Cup. Do you know, it's just one of them things you can't... Quickly spiral if you live by what if. Exactly. It's just like... uh, Thousands, millions of people, you know, living on what ifs are stuck in the, you know, they're stuck in the past, living in the past. You know, it's just, for me, it's always go, go forward. Yeah, what was it like then when when Nuggy came in? You said it was a lot different, and as, as we discussed, players started to go. Obviously, the team broke up. It must have been tough then. It was certainly tough for Luggy, wasn't it? To have to obviously reduce the wage bill and try and get Argon into some sort of even keel. And yeah. to follow, follow Ian Holloway as well. I yeah. think I think the, it, was, it was a tough tough one that one because he was successful when he left. Yeah, went to the Premier League. And then they say never come back to a club. I think he came back and our goal was something like fourth or fifth in the league, weren't they? So, I mean, you know, as high as they've probably ever been in their entire history. It was. I, I doubt Plymouth would ever have got that far up in the, in the, in the league, would they? No, in the history? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, so he's coming to a, he's coming to a club where it's flying and they're not, you know... It's a difficult one, that one. Very difficult. Um, but, you know... I don't think many managers could turn that down, could they? Though you know, championship, fourth in the league. I think it was a personal thing as well because he was yeah. he loved the area. He had his house, you know. He loved Plymouth as well, exactly. There was no doubt that he loved Plymouth. You know, he's still. I think he's still living yeah, in the area. Yeah. I've got you know absolute no complaints about Luggy. You know, when he came in, obviously at the start we had a, we you know we were weren't seen eye to eye um, at the start. Um, Brought in a lot of Scottish players. It's no offence to any Scottish players, but I think there was a thing where, you know, it was slowly, it was getting rid of, you know, older players that could have played a little bit longer, like Nallis, Hodgie, 
there's a few guys, you know, um, I think even Watsy, I think they could have played a couple more seasons and they were great people to have in the change room, you know. Mm. And then a massive change in that there was loads of players out, loads of players in and that's what killed it really. I think he sh- maybe should have just kept the nucleus up there and just added a couple here and there, you know. But that's hindsight. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a, then it was then all, that time was just like very difficult for the players to to adjust to because in a football team you have this team you start with them you you know sometimes you get a couple of players in that's great but when there's like five and six players coming in, just totally disrupts everything, disrupts the flow, disrupts the disharmony. Yeah. There's disharmony in the camp, you know. Um, and I felt the players that he brought in weren't as good as the players that left. I think that's pretty much the yeah. way I saw it. I think he kind of had to look for those younger players and hope that they could become the players that he'd let go. People like Jamie Mackey, for example. And That was later on down the line, though, because Jamie Mackey wasn't involved in that um, championship season. He was, couple, I think it was maybe a year after that. Yeah. It was uh, people like uh, Sylvan, who was there. You know, Bar- it was Barry Hales, it was Norris, it was uh, it was Nellis, it was Watsy. You know, so it was it was, it was the team there. Um, that that was Strong the team spine. that went out. It was a lot of Scottish players that came in. Um, but that's just one of them things. But obviously, it was one of the highest finishes in. And you know, probably, I don't think there'll be many teams that high, finished higher up. No. Um, it's just one of them things. What if you know? But, um, yeah, it's just, it was difficult for him uh, because obviously they probably didn't have, a, have much money. Oh, actually, no, he brought in Steve McLean, didn't he, for 500 oh, grand. Yeah, record boy. And then Simon Walton for 750 grand. And then we had Emil Mpenza that came in on who knows what type of money <laughs> was on. So there was stuff, there was money. Yeah. So what I don't understand is that you buy someone like Simon Walton for 750 grand and we can't get him players you know, for that Premier League finish. Yeah. So it's just one of them things that's yeah. like, it was a mess around that time. It's just nice to just forget about it and put it in the past, <laughs> you know. The things sadly, Carolyn taking a turn for a work, the worst, didn't they, with Paul Mariner, then they got relegated and then Peter Reid came in and that's when the administration really began to take hold. Yeah, it was just the whole situation of getting rid of Paul as well, the way they treated it was like, it was a bit weird as well. I'm not going to go too much into it because, but... Let me just tell you, it was a bit dodged with the way they got rid of him as well. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't um, a great way to send uh, Paul off, you know, for what he's done for the club. You know, despite that, you know, what he's done for the club, he's won countless championships for the team and he got him to a play, he got him into the championship. Um, so the way they got rid of him was, was wrong as well. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that was going off in the background that wasn't helping the team mm. whatsoever. What about the whole World Cup bit as well? Did that affect the players? No, I don't think they really paid too much attention to it, but I think they, they ploughed a lot of money into that. Yeah. And I think that probably didn't help. For me, it was a waste of money. At the time, it was a waste of money as well because it's just one of them things like you would have built this massive stadium that you can't fill Mm. So after the World Cup, when all the dust has settled, you've got a, what, 30,000 seater, 20,000 seater that, you know, there's only, it's the biggest attendance probably in recent Argyle time, or what, 12,000? 12, 12, mm. 
So yes. you've got to fill a massive stadium well, every week. At Darlington, you know, they have that. Well, the Don. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then obviously MK Dons have kicked on, but I don't think they're selling. I don't think they're filling that stadium. No, they've still got that top half that's no one's in there. Yeah. So you've got these massive stadiums that are just like, you ain't got the fan base to do it. Yeah. So I just thought it was crazy. Yeah. I, I thought it, you're probably better off spending more uh, like money on getting a new, new stand, like they yeah. should have done at the start. And instead of having three stands, maybe just do the whole stadium in one. It was a bizarre time because they had the Japanese investors that came in as well. Yeah, that was a nightmare. That, that, was a, that was when it really hit the fan. Mm. Because they were there just for their own agenda for that World Cup bid. I think they saw there might be some money there to be made or something, and they were just a shambles. They were an utter shambles. So, so what's it like to sort of live as a player during all this mess that's going on behind the scenes? It was just shambles. It was an absolute shambles, and that's why the team wasn't doing well, because it, it just there was so much stuff going off in the background, you wouldn't believe. I could write a book just <laughs> on that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That... Those, those couple of seasons yeah because there was so much so many things that were going on um, Did, was, was that at the time where you sort of knew in your mind as well that you needed to get out and perhaps join someone else uh, which, uh, it was, I was on a quite a long contract because uh, Paul Stark he re-signed me so I was on probably like a three year contract so I was I was going to tied yeah I was tied and so there was no way of getting out um, I know around the time um, when those Japanese investors, I think Starrick had gone, I think this was around uh, Paul Mariner time, um, the club wouldn't, um, oh, I went to Ipswich, didn't I? But there was a chance I could have, the club could have made money off me to go to Bristol City. I don't think that would have gone down too well, um, because obviously, but it's not as bad as going to Exeter, is it? Um but they could have made money off me. I was I was coming to the end of my contract. I had uh, I was coming. There was probably like only about five months, six months left in the um, season, and Bristol City said they'd give the club money to buy me. And I thought, take some money and yeah. and run. But they were like, nah, we want more. So I just thought it was like it's just bad business sense like upstairs around that time yeah. you know you've got a Japanese guy who's living in Japan or somewhere we don't we, probably, we only saw him probably once we've got a picture on the system I think of them arriving at tra- one training ground session. yeah well, I, I can't remember seeing the guy so you know to have an investor or to have someone like that who's not there every day not seeing what's going on and then having some Muppets that are looking after the club that don't have a clue what they're doing yeah it was a recipe. It was a disaster. A recipe for disaster, and that's what that's what happened. So did you sense that some like administration was coming then? Did you, did you? No, we didn't know until the PFA came in and say, "Okay, this is what's going on." So, I like, brilliant. Quite a shock. Yeah, we were like, "Okay, great." <laughs> um, so once that happened, I was like, "Okay, we're in for a, this is going to be bad." This mm-hmm. um, for, for someone like yourself, though, I mean, you know, with due respect, you're running a fairly decent wage. You probably were okay to get by, but for maybe some of the younger players and the staff at Argyle, especially who weren't earning the same kind of money, it must have been difficult to to see them struggle. Well, I I saved well, you know, I was a good saver, so I I had a bit of money behind me to to get through that time. Um, what happened actually, though, I the PFA came in. And then the club loaned me out to Ipswich. No, I think actually I went to Ipswich and then we went in administration. I think that's what happened. I, I went, I, 
they must have seen something happening because they yeah. sent me up to Ipswich on loan um, and then it hit um, and so I was there with Roy Keane hoping to get signed I think I would have signed as well if he stayed and then he got the sack so then I had to go back to Plymouth and that's when I, that's when it all started happening so were Ipswich paying the wages at that, at that yeah, point? yeah they were paying my wages yeah so I had I had about I think I was there for two months maybe so I had two months of okay I've got to get everything in place uh, a lot of the lads weren't ready for a bang and that and a lot of them didn't have savings so they were struggling um, and then the PFA came in again and they were giving the lads money so the PFA of you know the, so anyone can say what they want about the PFA they've been brilliant yeah like during the when, when it hits the fan the PFA are there you know and they were giving out lads a lot of money they were giving out a lot of money. Mm. It must be lads. difficult to go into work though and seeing the staff, you know, that, that don't get that help from the, the staff as well, you know, they were um they were struggling, but obviously there's always staff that don't get looked you know, in every football club there's staff that don't really get looked after and there's you know, you always get the people that just they do it for the love, don't they? They do it for the love and they get taken advantage of, you know. That's what I hated about football. Uh, the most was people get you know people that would give their time to the club and you know football clubs would would give them peanuts really um, and take advantage of people's time and their love for the club um, not going to go down there but all you know with with what happened there was a lot of people that were you know struggling obviously um I think the the problem was we didn't know what you know there wasn't much upstairs weren't talking to us very much it was yeah. like yeah this is what's happening okay get on with it and it's like come on it's like it's got it's more than that it's you know it's people's livelihoods here and yeah um i guess you didn't know how long it's going to go on for we didn't know how long it was going going to go on for we we didn't get a kind of concept of how long or how bad the situation or how was. bad situation so we're kept in the dark about that you know um if it wasn't for those, that set of players that club would have gone under definitely because we were we were still playing we were playing I think it might have been six months maybe seven months without wages I mean were there, were there any time any times where players had the discussion that should we carry on playing I mean does that, that enter did it ever enter the players minds should we carry on playing or should we oh there was loads of meetings but I was one of the ones where it's like look end of the day we if we if we drop tools this club's gone mm. and you don't get any money because we'd already already been two months into it um, and I, I just felt like there was a few players that were like now nah, let's drop tools and there was a few players that was like now nah, we've got to we need to we're in it we're going to have to get ourselves out of it obviously it, um, you know we went down and we had a double relegation it was a weird one actually because we got relegated from championship I played in the World Cup got relegated from League One so it was a crazy crazy time mm. that should have been a time where I was flying you know yeah. but it was like a time of just like nightmare I remember, the, I, was saying, I remember the administrator coming in and saying he thinks it was the closest he'd ever, he'd ever seen one team come to actually going bust oh that, that if it wasn't for the players it would have 100% went bust because they wouldn't have been able to afford the wages it would have just completely gone so um, I don't think when I see like stuff with the fans and they like praising like Peter Reid and stuff for that, 
he wasn't even there. Let me just put the put it out there. He was hardly ever there. He was there for the cameras. Like that's the only time I ever saw the guy was at the cameras. Um, it was the players that kept that thing going, hundred percent. If it wasn't for the players, there was there would be no club. Mm. And that's I guess the relegations you can almost take that in your stride because there is to the club. You know, you've seen teams at lower levels go into administration, they just don't come back, and that, no. that's it. There's some clubs that you'll never see again. Um, obviously, uh, Plymouth had had a fan base that was passionate about the club, and they wanted that club to keep going, and they were you know doing raffles and trying to do everything they could to keep the club going. But if it wasn't for them players sacrificing the wages and not getting paid there would have been no team how hard is it for the players then to stay silent during that time if all that's if all that's going on well you just got to be a pro you know mm. end of the day you're professional you've signed that contract with that team you've got to you know you've got to treat it with um, respect you know um, people are fuming right but you just it's just one of the things you just get a, got to get on with and you know it's very difficult to go on a pitch um, and play football when you know just you don't know what's going on um, well also you could go on that pitch and get injured and knowing that you're not going to get paid exactly God knows how long yeah because the contract can get ripped up yeah. so it was you had all these scenarios to going through in your head like what uh, what's going on here um, yeah because because the championship uh, demotion was just down through you know it was, you know we it was performance based and not having a good enough team that's why we went down. Uh, the drop from League One was the administration that really did it because we had a great team. If you remember that league, as well. that League One team was a very, very good team. You look at some of them players, some of them played in the Premier League, most of them. So we had a very good team. There was no excuses there, but it was just one of them things that, it was, you know, it's very difficult to play in those circumstances. Like you said as well, if we hadn't had the 10 points, you would have stayed up as well. So yeah. that and the 10 points yeah I forgot about that as well so we were under a lot you know was there nothing in your contract then because you didn't get paid that allowed you to walk away for free I mean we're hearing all these stories from Sporting Lisbon at the moment about players wanting to tear up their contracts because the fans there have been trying to assault them in training and stuff there's a had a few fans that weren't happy but obviously yeah. you're not going to be happy um, but yeah, we could have ripped up our contracts, but we wouldn't have seen any of the money I had. Mm. For me, I had like a couple of years left in my contract. I think I had two years left. So I can't, I can't rip up a two-year contract. Yeah. I had to see it out. So was that the toughest time of your career then, would you say? Or Pardon? Toughest time of your career, the administration period? Or? I think one of, yeah, definitely. That and probably uh, Cruciate. Um, definitely the one of the most difficult, but you know, um, it's all it's, you know when you go through hard times you learn about yourself you know and more, and more than times. exactly so do you know I had that kind of World Cup thing as well you know I had a, like a I had like a down moment with the championship drop I had this euphoric moment which was like being on top of Everest like when people ask me it's hard to describe what playing in a World Cup is like it's, you can never imagine it it's like being on top of Everest and just seeing everything. And then obviously the next part and your is a is a descent down and that's what happened with the league yeah. the league one uh and the administration, you know. So it was just like it was a crazy, crazy time. Um great to write a book about it. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, 
It was it was a mad time. <laughs> well, we've got a, a couple time. of um, questions here. We'll do some quick fire questions, and then uh, we'll come on to the World Cup. We'll have a little chat about that. Mike's asking, who is your favourite manager to work under at Argyle, and why? Uh, Ollie. Um, just because. Would that be in your whole career as well, or just at Argyle? Not my whole career. Just at Argyle was Ollie. Yeah, he was um, out of all the managers I had at Argyle. He was probably the best. Obviously, the the results. Yeah. Just need to take a look at the results and where we were on the table before he left, you know. What about your career? Ooh, it's a difficult one. I've only had a handful of managers that I've had a lot of managers, but only a few that have um that I thought, well, they're the proper quality. Um I don't like talking about managers because it's a very it's a um it's one of them subjects that you know, players are never happy with managers, are they, if they're not playing and they're happy if they're playing? You know, it's one of them fickle things where, you know, I could have had a great manager, but around that time I might not have been playing, so he's a crap manager. Yeah. It's very, um, it's a fickle game when it comes to, you know, managers. Um, so I don't like to tend to talk to man- about managers like that, uh, only ones that have, okay. you know. Okay, well, Mark's asking, what were your highlights of your time at Argyle? Highlights was definitely um, definitely around the promotion, you know, that, that championship time. Um, and then a time where I was with Paul Sturrock and I was playing really well, scoring, you know, I was doing, you know, doing well around that, probably around that time, yeah. Oh, is, it, is it frustrating? When the championship, the championship was definitely the highlight, yeah. yeah. How much does not scoring when you're a striker play on your mind? Massive. Yeah, it's massive. And then... Um, it gets bigger and bigger when you know the games are going past and you're like not scoring, not scoring. It's just, it's horrific. Mm. It's probably, it's the hardest position on the pitch. Definitely, 100%. Because any other, you know, obviously goalkeeper, if you screw up, it's it's a big mistake. But you're not expected to score. And you're not expected to keep clean sheets every game. Whereas a striker... People expect you to score in every game. Yeah. They think they they expect you to be Ronaldo, <laughs> especially if you're not in a great team as well. And there's no chances coming. It's just like, you yeah. know, you got midfielders there to create for you, and they're not creating, and you got no chances, and it's just it's a nightmare. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned earlier on about how you'd prefer, or sounded like you'd prefer to play with someone up front. So you know, playing in a team that plays two up front. I prefer playing two up front. How yeah. difficult is it when you play that lone striker role? Because I mean, that's pretty much what Derek Adams does. Yeah, the, the, the target man is pretty much doing donkey work. So you you'll never be up of, with the play because you're holding pretty much everything up and you're laying stuff off and for people to run behind you. you. Yeah. So you're hardly ever you're hardly ever on the you know last man. Um, because you're expected to hold hold the ball up to get the team up the pitch. So there was a lot of times where I was playing up front by myself as well. I hated it. <laughs> I and hated also, it. it seems like you know, a defender can grab a striker, pull them around as much well, as they want. You've got, you got 2v1 all the time. You yeah. do something back to them and it's a free kick. And then also when you try and shut down the goalkeeper, the, the two centre-backs split off and they just pass it around you. So it's, it's, you're just doing donkey work, really. Um, it's, it's, um, yeah, I never enjoyed it one up front. Yeah, it's a, certainly a tough role to play. Uh, Dana's asking, who are some of your favourite Argyle players to play alongside and what were they all like as characters in the dressing room? Man, we had, at the very start, there were some absolute characters, man. Like uh, Lillian Nellis, he was a character. Um, he was... He was, he was hilarious, man. Uh, yeah, people like Paul Conley, Scalser, like he was a character. Um, my mate Luke McCormick, I loved him. 
it was like it was it was it was probably my favorite player to play with was Luke. Yeah, I love Luke. Um, there was, you know what? There was a lot of players that went through. Uh, Jamie Mackey was a character. Um, even people like the physio um, Paul Maxwell. He was he he cracks me. I still keep in touch with him today. But he was like he was hilarious, man. There was and there was people like the kit man, like Steve the kit man. He probably out there listening, but he's he was a character as well. There was always people are like around the background as well yeah. that were just like the you know, great, the yeah, great characters and that brilliant characters to have and that. And then when they go, it's just like something you know you lose something. I think for me, like in any team, you always have to have those characters, you know. Yeah. I think when uh, Lillian and oh Paul Watton was a character as well. I think when um, when them two left the change room, you, we lost a lot of banter and stuff like that. Obviously, you try and continue on, but yeah, when you have more people, you know, bantering each other, it's better. Yeah. Um, you notice it in any sort of workforce if someone leaves, you know, an office and, and they were one of the central characters, and it all just goes a bit quiet. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Quite the same. You yeah, definitely. It's it's you know when you know, the big, big shoes to fill, you know, it's, it's, it's the, those are the people like, you know, when you're having a tough time, it's like, they, they make you laugh. Through, yeah. I think the, you know, there's always, you know, to get through stuff, especially difficult stuff is laughter. That's why we're on the time of, um, the administration. I was like, one of the managers said, why are you always happy? I was like, blooming hell. If you want to look in that change room, everyone's depressed. So I was like, I'm the only one that's trying to keep everyone going. So it's like, it was crazy stuff like that when saying people why are you so happy I was like gotta be because yeah, yeah. if I'm not happy then everyone's going to be proper depressed um, so yeah there was a lot of things that went off like but yeah losing losing big characters and teams are very difficult yeah of course I've got to lose Luke McCormick this year as well so yeah he's a great guy to have in a change room yeah. Luke he's top top boy um, I, for me personally I, I thought he could have you know he, he could have he's good for a few more years but I'm not the gaffer. Were you ever daunted going into a new dressing room or do you get used to it pretty quickly? At the start, when I was a young lad, yeah, massive because you're just on, you're starting on your way and you've got men in there and you've got to try and get into the group, you know? And if they don't like you, it's, it's lonely. Um, but when I started getting older and that, I started knowing who I was and what I, what I brought to the team and stuff like that, I was fine. But no matter what, every time you go somewhere new, and it's with anyone in any business or job, you go somewhere new. Is the first day is always difficult. Yeah, we always we don't often have to sing songs though. Like uh, yeah, sometimes you'd have to do a dance or sing (laughs) a song. What about some of those initiations then? What what are some of the worst ones you've had to do? Um, (laughs) when I was at Barnsley. Uh, I'm not going to say too much but there was like there was stuff like you had to do a Christmas song and there was one year where we uh, we were YTS and that and uh, they said the losing team has to run around Oakwell naked (laughs) while we throw cold buckets of ice at you of water at you and so I was like yeah I don't fancy doing that (laughs) so I was like there was a few New Zealand lads in that in in the youth setup. so I was like okay lads we're going to do the hucker so I said to the softened up the pros and said look instead of having a song we'll give you a hucker so we need all the New Zealand boys together they're like yeah do it so we got away with it there, with that one so we did the hucker and they were loving it they were just like everyone was buzzing and then um, 
Then uh, the lads started singing and uh, singing Christmas songs and they're horrific. And I think Big Johnny Parkin, do you remember Big yeah, Johnny John Parkin? Parkin? He was one of them that had to go running around Oakwell naked. <laughs> <laughs> not on a match day though. Yeah, they had, no, it was not a match day. Was, there was a few cleaners and that watching them, but the, the whole like backroom staff and that were there. And uh, they're all in the tunnel like cheering them on and that. They're all naked except they had uh, shoes and socks on. <laughs> So everyone was cracking up laughing, man. Yeah, definitely that doesn't exist in a... Uh, that, those, those days are over. You get, <laughs> you're doing stuff like that, you get blooming, you're being caught, man. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the stuff like that in football's gone, whereas, you know, it was brilliant. Yeah. You know, those times coming through. I feel sorry for the lads that come through now because it's, ne- it's not the same. You know, they have banter, but you, you don't have stuff like that. You have people getting chucked in boot skips, locking them and rolling them yeah. down the hill and that banging into a brick wall and that so it's like <laughs> and then leaving them in there as well it was all sorts going off man <laughs> you must miss that side of things though yeah that, that is yeah that's you know used to crack it was brilliant man yeah it was, it was funny as a kid growing up you, you see some of the stuff and some of the stories and that yeah. were just hilarious of course you ended your um your career with Torquay which is another sort of strange time I guess or a strange club to be at because again there was so much going on off the pitch really yeah Torquay was a great one because I was well what happened I was at um, you know I got the injury I had people telling me you know give up retire and I was like no nah, I've got a couple more years left in me I'm gonna gonna do it I'm gonna get back in um, and then I went to Bristol Rovers signed uh, wasn't playing I was just a squad member but I was happy because it got me uh, playing for New Zealand again um, so I went into a tournament there and um, became captain of the team and we won that tournament and the team went to Confederations Cup. So it was a great tournament to win. So we went to Confederations Cup and then I got an injury, a heel injury, um, and that set me back and I missed the Confeds. And so I was out for a long girl, I was out for seven months with that, with a heel injury. So that killed me, I missed the Confeds. And then I thought, you know what, is it, and then I had that time with Truro. Absolutely hated it. It was just one of the worst things I ever did was go there. Um, but I thought, you know what? I was injured at the time. I left. Um, so I was on this like I was on this downer really. I, you know, I was like, what am I doing there? Like, should I just pack it in? Um, and then I started going to uh, a CrossFit gym, and I was just like going there. I was doing, you know, I was doing the cowlick and stuff like that. And I was just training there and I started to get stronger and fitter. And I was like, you know what, I'm feeling good here. I'm like feeling really strong. Um, and probably one of the fittest and strongest I've been for a while in that. Um, and so then I was like, you know what, I'm going to just... I saw, I, I read a read an article, um, might have been in one of the newspapers and that, and that the, um, the gaffer at Torquay was looking for a target man. So I saw that, I was like, I'm feeling quite fit and feeling strong and I feel like I've got, you know, a few more games left in me and that, I'll I'll just hit him up, you know. So I hit him up and went there on trial and played against Argonne in the pre-season. I remember remember getting to uh, them and I said, and Chris Chris Harrington turned to us and said, do you recognise who that is over there? They were talking about, that's Rory Fallon. Yeah, so I was like, (laughs) you know, I'm feeling good, so go in and went in there and... I always knew I was going to be a squad player, but I always had in my mind the playoffs. The only reason why I was doing it was to get into this World Cup playoff against Peru. 
At the time, I knew it was someone going to be like the fifth best team in South America. So I was like, you know what, it could be Argentina. I was like, you've got to try and just push it one last. Because around that time, around that time, I was happy to just call it a day. Yeah. Definitely. Around true, I could have called it a day right there. But did you just need that goal? I needed that. I needed that little goal to just say, you know what, that's in a couple months' time. If I'm in a professional team, I know I can get in that team and that squad yeah. to face either Argentina or Peru or someone. So I was like, it was worth me just like grinding it out. Um, I didn't really want to play in those lower levels, but it was like it was something that I could see there. If I, if you know, if I'm in a pro team, that's uh, give me a great chance to, to you know, to get back into the fold, you know. Um, so I went to Torquay and then, you know, the manager started speaking to me. I was like, brilliant, this is it. And then all of a sudden the manager gets sacked and I was like, oh no. I was like, what's happening there? I was like, I'm like, I'm like a month away yeah, from yeah. getting selected for the squad. Yeah, it was right at the start of the season. Right, well, at the, wasn't it? right at the start. So I was like, man, I was like, I was like flying. Um, so then I um, went to Darlington to, you know, I told the manager there, look, I'm 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 here just to try and get into this into the World Cup team. Uh because actually there was only two weeks before the team was selected when that uh when the gaffer at Torquay um when he got sacked. So I was like, This is the worst possible timing for me ever. Um so I was like, I'll come and play a couple of games for you, try and get in this try and get into this national team and then I'm gonna call it a day. Um, and then eventually I played two games for, for them um, very difficult because it's even lower mm. down but I was like okay just don't worry about that just look at the bigger picture kept fit um, kept positive and then I got selected for the for the sit up so I was like brilliant that was my goal yeah. um, and so I knew 100% no matter what the well if we won I would have kept on going mm. I would have kept on going, but um, if we, I had in my mind, if we lose, that's me done. And so I got to that um, that World Cup um, squad. I was one of the older players there. I was the one getting the lads going and you know trying to help them along. I knew I was always going to be a squad player. Um, and uh, after we lost that, hung up my boots. Good, not a bad way to go out. No, Great way to go out. World Cup qualifier. I'm happy with that. Kind of my mate Kerry Arneson, I said to him, look, <laughs> you're at a World Cup, you, you're on top of the mountain, mate. Yeah. Uh, for me, you retire. Because I think there's a life for Panama that's going to retire after the World Cup. I was yeah. like, that's, go out on a high. Watching Arneson, though, I mean, you know, obviously they played Argentina a, a week or two ago. Uh, he played really well in that game. And played well, they got yeah. a one-all draw as well. Played really well, but, you know... Argentina, I don't know what's going on for them because uh, for me, they're like one of my teams. I always pick them. Like I've got like a little bet going on with the family. Like, okay, Argentina's my team. Um, it's only like a for a chocolate bar and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. When it got ice cream. Yeah, ice cream and <laughs> chocolate bar. And, but um, it's like, I don't know what's going on for them. But like, you know, can't take it away from Iceland. They, they stuck to it and they didn't give up. And, you know, they were my dark horse uh, and then they lost that game recently and I was like oh. mm. and now they have to beat Croatia yeah. and that's going to be because they're flying they're absolutely flying So, but I said to Arnie I was like Arnie there's no way you know there's no way you're going to top a World Cup no matter what you do 
you cannot go any higher. It's Nigeria they've got to beat, isn't it? They, obviously, Croatia beat them 3-0, didn't they? Yeah, and they're, they're looking all right as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, talking of the World Cup, obviously you were there yourself out in South Africa yeah. eight years ago now. Um, would you say that was the pinnacle? Well, you, you the pinnacle. already said it was the pinnacle of your career. It's the pinnacle. You can't. The only way you're going to beat a World Cup is playing in the Champions League. And even that is every year. Yeah. You, know, you can play in the Champions League every year. And, um, and when people say, you know, European Cup final, World Cup final, come on. It's no, there's no comparison, man. You, you got, the thing with the World Cup, you, you, there's, only, you know, there's only a few players that will ever play for the national team. And then you top that with getting into a World Cup. You may only have one spell where you get an opportunity to play play in a playoff, yeah, or uh, you know in a qualifier, and to lose that, that's you done. You you know some players will never ever get that opportunity well, again because exactly. they're, they're another four years at least. Another four years, around. chances are you won't be there again. I had the opportunity playing three World Cup qualifiers, and for me that was even the well, even the qualifiers were the, were the pinnacles of my career. Because I went, you know, the second qualifier for Brazil, we, we played against Mexico, playing at Aztec Stadium, 107,000. You'll never believe what it's like to play in front of 107,000 people. All Mexican. Yeah. It was just at the Aztec Stadium. It was like one of them fairy tales that I've always wanted to play on that pitch. Um, and then to score in that playoff against Mexico, you know? So it was like, for me around that time, it was like, okay the playoffs it was, some, it was like an addiction it was like I need more of that it's like you can't compare club football to that it will never come close unless you play in an FA Cup finals you know something playoff final and that's, that's the only way you could get closer close, to that yeah. um, and then to say like eight years later you're you're going to be playing you know you got another chance you know with that Peru game we were one game away from a mm. World Cup so, you know, for me, it was like, lads, like, I'm not playing, but what I would do to play in this game, you got one chance. Some of you will never, ever get this opportunity again. One, you got 90 minutes. That first game at Wellington, we, were, we drew with them. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, you've set this up to, yeah. to, to, to do this, you know? And it's like, you get one opportunity. And obviously, we, for me, we didn't really perform at our peak, we I th- I thought we got we were like there in the headlights. I think with that game, we were a young team and it was just like it was just beyond us. Yeah, and I felt like Peru was their time. Um, but it's like you you don't get many opportunities like that, and it's very rare, you know, to to, to get one game away from World Cup. I've had the privilege of being in two, you know, you know the Bahrain game, we were one game from a World Cup and. That Peru game. Obviously, I wasn't. I was in the bench, but I didn't come on. But you know, great to be involved yeah. in that. So, what was that Bahrain game like? You obviously got the goal that sent the team there to the, to the World Cup. Just another euphoric moment in my career. You know, it was just like I think it's everybody's dream to either score in a World Cup or get your team to a World Cup. Mm-hmm. You know, score the qualifying goal. It was just like it was just made. It was just made for me that. Do you remember it well? Or was it a bit of a hit? Was it? Nah, it I remember every single moment. Yeah, <laughs> it was just one of those things. Yeah, it was just it was a euphoric moment when I when that ball went in the back of the net. But there was times where it was like despair as well because straight after the half we we let a penalty go, and they missed the penalty. Our goalkeeper saved it, so it was just like 
It was it's, it's down as one of the greatest sporting events in New Zealand history, sporting history. Yeah. And it is. It was just well, that, drama. That says a lot when they're, you know, so big on rugby. Well, and... they got, they've had all these World Cup finals, but they yeah. say that the World Cup final didn't compare to that. The World Cup final win for rugby did not, the atmosphere did not compare to that Wellington game. And it didn't. I watched it on TV and I was just sitting in the seats. I guess because you were the underdog, you know, no one expected it, you to get No one there. expected us to beat Bahrain. You know, everyone was writing us off for that. Yeah, we're going to lose, but, you know, it's great to be there. But for me, I was like, no way, we're winning this. And it's like, the thing with rugby is like, we expect to win. Yeah. Whereas New Zealand in football, we, you know, would be lucky mm. to even do well in a playoff. Mm. So to get that opportunity and to go to a World Cup was just like, boom. And then not lose at the World Cup. And as then, well. I mean, then you go with all expectations, didn't it? And I think for us around that time, it was like, oh, but you're not as good as the 82 World Cup team because that was my dad's team. So, you know, there was a lot of stuff in the press. We, we beat Bahrain. Oh, yeah, you beat Bahrain. But, you know, your qualification's not as hard as the 82 team. The 82 team went... They went through one of the longest qualifications ever in the history of the World Cup. They went on like a 30-game... Something like that. It was 20 games. It was, it was a lot of games. And they played a lot of big teams in that. So it was kind of... They were romanticising over this 82 team. So I was like saying to, this, saying to our team, I was like we got to do well in this World Cup. And that will shut everyone up. I, For me, I was like, this World Cup team was like, this will be the best ever team I've ever played in. I was like, we've got to go to this World Cup and we've got to absolutely smash it. And I think everyone was on the same journey. Everyone was peaking. Do you know, when Ryan Nelson was playing in the Premier League, we had Winston Ring, who was a young lad coming through, yeah. who was going to be in a Premier League player. We had like championship players, we had Premier League players, we had players, we had men in that team. And it was like, we were, I was probably played 300 games by that point. You know, there's a lot of players that played a lot of games. Most of the team were pros. Then on your bench, you got people working in a bank. And so, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was a crazy team. You had people working in a bank and there was like part-timers. And, but our actual first 11 uh, uh, was a bona fide, you know, men's pro team like we were battle hardened and I felt all the things that I lost in my club I was like I'm going to get it back through this you know doing this you know getting to this world cup and then we went there and we're just like the the atmosphere was unbelievable and you know the the three games like were just when I, the first game, I was just running around in the days thinking I'm playing in the World Cup. <laughs> when I was a kid, I never, ever, you know, I used to watch World Cup and I was in our family, you know, for everyone, the World Cup, everyone watches it. And um, watching all my heroes, you know, playing a World Cup. And then obviously I'm in a World Cup and I'm like thinking, what am I doing in a World Cup? I was just thinking, how have I got here? I just thought, for me, it was a miracle, man. Um, so to play not just in a World Cup, you see Panama first ever World Cup, but the way they've done it is like, you know, against that, you know, the England, they were rolling around, diving, and, you know, it just doesn't look... Yeah, look they, they said that in commentary, look, didn't they? They, they said, you know, it's great that they've got here, but the way they here, The way they on. conducted themselves, yeah. they don't look like they belong there. Mm. You know, it's one of them things that it's like, it's... it's they'll end up with a bad taste in their mouth of yeah. how they've conducted themselves whereas we went there we just we just smashed it man but we went in those tunnels think for me in my head I can't say about the other lads but I know they're in the same zone was 
like we were looking at that Italian team we were saying we're going to beat you like they were giving it the big you know the big one all arrogant and we're world champions you know we're going to roll this team over because yeah. that's what you could see they were, they were just chilling but we were just chomping at the bit in that, in that tunnel like just like it's, it's on so much for psychology in sport oh know. massive it was just it was massive man and we were just so hungry it was a bit like when Iceland played England in the Euros yeah. it was like a mentality you know football it's like you have the wrong mentality and you go into football you lose 100% doesn't matter how good your team is um, and just that time was just a special time. Not only to be unbeaten as well, it's when you finish above Italy in the, in, the, in the table. But do you know, if the first game we drew against Slovakia and well, we got a last minute goal in the, in the dying seconds of the game. So we were lucky to get that draw. So for us, it was a win. The Paraguay, we were never going to beat Paraguay. They were just way above us. We did well to even... Um, I don't even think we had many shots on you know our team was like we were a defending park the bus team work on your set plays we were one of them teams but we we did it well yeah. and we would get in people's faces um, the Paraguay I, don't, I couldn't see us beating them even if we went for it I was a little bit disappointed because I felt that we could have gone for it and thrown, thrown like three players up front like properly up front to go for, get that goal but I felt the Italian game was the one where we should have won and that was because they were never going to score except for that penalty. And that game should have been 1-0 mm-hmm. if it wasn't for the tug. And that's the one where, it's, you know, the small chances. I'm saying about the percentages of playing in the World Cup and playing for your national mm-hmm. team. And then the chances of getting through the next round was possible. Yeah. That's why, I, for me, at the end of it, I was disappointed. Now I look back at it with fond memories. But at the time... I was so disappointed because I felt we were good enough to get to the next round and we were a win away from it and it was the Italian game that yeah. killed us 100% You must have taken a lot of satisfaction from sending the Italians home though because you say they went into the tournament as world champions didn't they? They went in world champions and they you know they still had a great team they had Cannavaro and Cellini at the back man you know what I mean they had Pearl on the bench do you know what I mean they had uh, De Rossi do you know what I mean? They had a group team, Matarazzi there. Were they the toughest, toughest team you think you played against? Um, or defenders, I should say, more, more so than no, the team. Cause... No, because physically I was stronger than them. Um, I remember back in that time they were diving around and that. And that, you know, when you watch a World Cup and you see team cheating and diving, you know that mentally that whole team, they know that they're not good enough to beat them mm. on a level playing field, so they have to cheat. And that's how I felt with Italy. For me, that gave me confidence because if they're trying to get us sent off and, you know, pretending to be injured, um, mentally we had them. Yeah. And it was just one of them things they couldn't, they couldn't score. And it was the pen. Do you actually get time to enjoy the World Cup while you're there? Or, or is, is it... So no, focused? it was just so focused. We were just so focused. We, obviously, we had, a, we had the time of our lives. You know, we were having barbecues like we were living in our own we were living in like million dollar houses that were multi-million houses it was um we were in Johannesburg and um there was like those seven bedroom houses and we were all in one street so there was five players to one house so we had like it was a proper house you know you had barbecue <laughs> out there you had swimming pool we were just loving it we had uh we were staying on the uh, Serengeti um, resort 
So it was like a golf course there, it was a clubhouse, we had go um, golf, bug uh, golf buggies, we were booming around everywhere, we were loving life. Because you hear it quite a lot, you know, the England players recently have been saying, you know, you do get really bored when you're there because there's so yeah. much time to kill. That's, that's the thing was like, the best thing for us was that we were so relaxed. We were focused, but we were totally relaxed because of our surroundings. Whereas I think, especially New Zealanders, Kiwis, they need to, we need to be outside. If we're stuck in, indoors, we'd lose our minds, man. We need to be near the water. We need to, you know what I mean? It's one of them things that you're, when you're brought up, that's what, that's what it's all about. Being outside and that, and just enjoying, having, having a laugh. Um, if we were put in a hotel, I don't think we would have done as well, I don't think. Because it's just, it is a nightmare being stuck in a hotel. Yeah. As you mentioned, it's just, just world away from what you were living with through Argo at that time as well. It's, oh, yeah, it was, it's, yeah, it was. Total opposite. Yeah, it was totally opposite. So it was like relegation to being on yeah. top of the world, you know? Yeah. yeah. So what have you made of the World Cup this Love time it. around? Love it. Do you, when you watch Peru, though, is there a bit of, like, could have been us? Or? No, because they're not doing great, are they, really? Um, yeah, there's, like, moments where you, where you keep an eye on Peru because they're the ones that knocked you out you know <laughs> but um, they're just you know you look at them and uh, you know they, they play come against other teams and they're not looking that great you know um, they miss so many chances against Denmark don't they missing chances and stuff like that they don't look as you know as good as they you know did when they played us but I think it was their it was to be for them you know it was like I don't look back and say oh you know damn you Peru do you know what I mean it's like one of them things it's just yeah. it was meant to be for them like it was for us against Bahrain um, but I'm loving the World Cup it's like I think people find me a bit strange because I never watch football the only time I watch football is, is World Cup so I've been watching pretty much every game do you have a soft spot for England? yeah, yeah. of course I do I'm English like my dad's English yeah. you know? well you play for the youth teams as well play for you? the youth teams of course you know I got it's just like it's ingrained in me to what like when I was a kid it was English football or you know there was Italian you know when I was growing up and Dutch and but it was always English for me it was like my dad's English my grandma's English my whole my whole side of my dad's side's English except for my granddad who's Irish so for me it's like England like you know like when I, I'm always watching them and I, I you know, I'm enjoying watching them actually. Yeah, I think everyone is. We were, seeing, think, we were speaking earlier that Gareth Southgate is definitely winning yeah. some of the doubters over. I don't think Sam Allardyce would have done a good a job as him. No. I just couldn't. I, I just see that he's. I don't know if he could have. You know, he could get into these, speak to these young players in the way that you know Southgate would. You know, because he's a, he's young at heart. He's a young manager, and you know, wanting to do things. Um, he seems to be giving the players a lot of responsibility like that free kick routine goal well some of those free kicks you know, are unbelievable that, yeah he said that you know the players are making the decisions on the pitch to as to what free kick routine they're going to try some of the free kicks have been quality mm. um, they should have left a couple of them to the bigger games I think because yeah. one of them worked perfectly against Panama I think mm. they should have maybe left that for the because that penalty that, the one where they were like 1-2 uh, and then they put it back yeah in, that's what I was talking it was, about that was an unbelievable free kick. Mm. I was like, you've got to save that, you know, you've got to save the good ones for like when you need <laughs> yeah. it. Not when you're winning like 6-0, 5-0 and stuff like that, you know, you've got to save But by them. all accounts, I think Steve Holland, the coach is behind a lot of the free kick routines and he's, uh, 
he's pretty big on set pieces. Think, so the way, that, more. The, the way that he, Gareth Southgate and the team have dealt with everything in the media, I think everything's been yeah. perfect. Do you know what I find though with the with this team is that I don't know many of the players. For me. So you haven't got these household players. The problem with like, you know, the golden generation, you have these household names mm. who like everyone knows and they're expectant of them to do well in a World Cup. Whereas this one, just coming up to this World Cup, I didn't even know there was a World Cup on in England. Yeah. Like there's been no like publicity for it whatsoever. And it's been a completely different, it's been a complete change and it's been great yeah. because I think it's put less stress on the players. Yeah. And I think they've gone into that really free instead of going into a World Cup where feeling the you're pressure feeling of tight and like no you know when you're not when you're feeling tight like that you don't play your best. It probably goes back to what you said about Italy earlier on then they're not going well, they're expected there, to go there, they're as well. expected to go there and kill everyone. Mm. Um, the world champion and it's like Germany. You know they they struggle in that first game Argentina you go to Argentina they did a minute silence for the team that yes, lost yeah, and I thought yeah. them losing yeah. they're under massive pressure yeah we they're expected get, they're like England they're expected to win the World yeah, Cup yeah we even saw it in, with the Argentinians you know Messi before the game was rubbing his face yeah they're, they're under stress, severe pressure um, yeah all stress. of them stress and it's mm. like you multiply that you know for me there was stress but it was like a freedom in the stress yeah. whereas these guys it's every move is scrutinised in the press like you're, you're, you're just dismembered mm. and they'll pick parts out of you. You know, when they're doing a minute, minute silence, you know, on the, on the TV, you know, you, you're <laughs> under serious scrutiny. Yeah. And they've still got a chance of qualifying, you know, if they and, beat Nigeria, they're well, probably going to be that's my team, so I need them to qualify. <laughs> you know, I'll pick them. Chocolate bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, I should have picked England. <laughs> they're flying, man. Yeah. But and obviously, you know, I'm saying, oh, it's Panama. Right? Yeah, but you still need to beat these teams. And, yeah, yeah. Do you know, they could have gone into that, into that game. They didn't go into that game thinking, we're going to beat them. They're going into that game. We have to win. Mm. Whereas I felt, I feel like it's a complete different um, change from when they were in. It was a transitional time where the old guard and the new guard were mixing. And Southgate's done away with all the old guard now, hasn't he? You've, you've got to, sometimes I think it's best to have a clean break yeah. and just start with a brand new team like Germany did when they won that World yeah. Cup. They had a brand new team, they were a young team, and they just went through with that team. Um, and I just think, like, you know, you've you got to get rid of the, you know... It's like me and the New Zealand team. I knew it was time for me to move on. There was no more... You know, for me, I was quite a big name in that team because of what I did in the World Cup. So I knew full well it's time for me to move on after this and let, you know, the young lads kick on now. Um, but you, they, they look like they've got a freedom about them. Um, they haven't been put under the test yet. Yeah. Obviously, they will be soon. Like, well, Belgium will be a great, will be a great indication of where we are. You know where England are. Even that, though, I mean, you know, it's it's a bit of a dead rubber. It's going to be against the second string yeah, Belgian be a, yeah, team, probably. Much. So, and and possibly the you know the England team will be using yeah the subs and utilizing that as well because they're through. So, do you think that's what we'll do? Freshen it up a bit. Or? I think I think you well you, you know yeah I'd freshen it up a little bit. Um, give people like Vardy uh, you know a couple of strikers a go and saying that you know it depends on what Harry Kane he might say I'm like I want to play I'm, I'm hot you know because he's, he's gunning for a golden boot yeah well Jack and I were having that same conversation before yeah. we came on air 
And you were saying, you know, well, Harry Kane's going to be after that golden boot. But I was saying, yeah, but the team's got to come first. You yeah, know? It's 100% the, World Cup. the team comes first. But it really depends on how he's feeling after those games. Um, after them two games, because he might be a little bit tired. You know, you know, you yeah. know, as a player. But for me, I'd be wanting to play every game these are the because you're flying. Yeah. These are decisions the manager gets paid to make. Some some of the pundits were saying they wide break a team that are doing so well, keep it going, keep yeah. the momentum. And, yeah. so, Andy, Andy's the captain as well. Mm. For me, I'd want to keep playing because, like, his third goal. That's when you know you're on a hot street when someone's yeah. kicking at you and it goes yeah. in. Yeah. You know, it comes Looking off, at the goal, comes off your heel. You yeah. didn't even know about it. So, you know, I, he's flying, man. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd keep going. I'd keep... For me, personally, I'd probably, like, change a couple of players, but I won't change it too much. Um, but I'm interested to see how England do. You know, I hear everyone saying it's coming home. <laughs> They've got a long way to go yeah. before it comes home. Indeed. But not normally this happy after two games, though. No, no. no, no, no. Usually it's well, doom and gloom, you know? Four, year, four years ago at this stage, we were already out of the tournament, weren't we? Yeah. So... Progress. Long may continue. <laughs> Indeed. Right, well, that's all we've got time for. Rory, thanks yeah. ever so much for coming in. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear all your stories and uh, some of them brilliant, some of them not so great yeah, from your time. Some of them But as always, we, we appreciate any guest that comes in. So um, thanks very much for joining us, Jack. Thank you too. That's all we have time for. We'll be back again same time next week. Bye-bye. We are always happy to hear from you, and if you have any questions for our panel, please tweet them to our Twitter account, at HeraldPAFC, or visit our Facebook page, Plymouth Argyle The Herald. Thanks for listening.